got a great song to play, you know. Just, uh, uh. Hello? Have you ever snogged a lady? Um, we had a technical problem. Are we on? Yeah, <laughs> we're on there. Can I swear? Shit! Welcome to Crunch and Roll, the podcast about the lighter side of the radio industry. Now, people think that being a radio presenter is a pretty cushy gig, and to be fair, it can be. I mean, working four hours a day, meeting celebs, playing a few songs, and if you're lucky, getting paid a decent amount to do it as well. But what the average listener doesn't understand is the hardships that a presenter has to endure. Sitting alone in a padded room for hours on end, enduring the frustrating critiques of consultants from the other side of the world who helpfully suggest that nailing your penis to the table is just what you need to do to take your show to number one in Sydney. No, Sydney. And there's only so many times that you can hear the latest Harry Styles song in a four-hour shift without getting murderous thoughts. This is a podcast for anyone who can relate to any of these privations, but still, somehow, maintains the passion and enthusiasm for the medium, at least until their contract runs to an end. My name's John Fox, known to some as Foxy, done breakfast shows across the UK and uh, more recently some shows on the BBC. Today, my guest needs no introduction, but uh, I'll give him one anyway. His voice is recognisable to millions, and the mere mention of his name conjures up three words. Late night love. Of course, it's the legend that is Graham Torrington. Now, I've had the pleasure to meet Graham a couple of times. I had the privilege to cover his show on the BBC as well, and it was nice to chat to him for a bit. And uh, you're about to hear some of the interesting moments of his time on the wireless, like how he he had BR&B branded sick bags in the flying eye, and the day that his boss shut the station down in front of his face, and how he inadvertently killed off Ackerbilk. Just to warn you, it's a little bit sweary. And there are some adult themes. Oh, yeah. Hello, Graham Torrington. Hello, John Fox. How are oh, you? It's, it's the voice, isn't it? That's what it is. <laughs> it's the voice, isn't it, Graham? I, it's just, is it? Yeah, it really is. And do you know? Do you know what I was? Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, we've we've spoken to some amazing people from radio on this on this podcast, and I'm really genuinely enjoying doing this. And my wife Leanne has always been a huge supporter of mine throughout my career and the time that we've been together over the last 15 years. Um, And I've been very privileged to work with some uh, amazing people, in my humble opinion, who are legends. But Leanne's never been overly enamoured by any of them until I said that I'm chatting to Graham Torrington. (laughs) Graham, she, she was like, oh my God, I can't believe you're talking. You are a legend in so many people's eyes. Do, do 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 you see that? I, you see, I get told this, but, you know, listen, I just do a job and I love my job and it's great. And I think it's only when I look back on the days of, I, I suppose it's the late night love days, yeah. you know, I didn't realise, and I don't think any of us who worked on that show in those days realised the power of that show. And it's only now, and there's not a single, and I've said this to you before, John, there's not a single day that doesn't go by that somebody doesn't mention it to me email me on Facebook, social media. There's somebody every single day talks about that radio show. Uh, and the and that show's not been on air now for 15 years. And that <laughs> gives you some idea, the power of that radio show. But it's not just my wife. You know, I've got mates that I've said that I'm chatting to you today for the podcast and they've gone, oh my God, I can't believe it. Because everybody's got a Graham Torrington story. Or they, at least they remember listening to you at some point in their life. And you are... And this sounds like I'm really blowing smoke up your backside, so I apologise, Graham. But I mean, you you are a part of everybody's life at some point. I mean, that must feel special. Uh, yeah, it does. Uh, it does feel special. Yeah, and I can't get away from it. Uh, and um, it, you know, when you tell me things like that, it does feel special. It really does. But listen, I'm just the bloke on the radio. You know, I'm, you know, I'm living in Spain, having a having a great time. Like you know, and it is great to be told that it really is. So yeah. All right, look, we'll get on to Late Night Love in a bit, because I just want to go right back to the start then, Graham. So I believe that you, like myself, started in hospital radio. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, Sandwell Hospital Radio uh, in West Bromwich. I wanted to be the bloke on the radio. Oh, you're going back, you know, years ago, I used to get up on a Saturday morning and listen to Ed Stewart on uh, Radio 1 doing Junior Choice. That's And, I, and from those days on, from being an eight-year-old boy, I wanted to be the man on the radio. So you 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 know you fast forward a bit, and then I I was lucky enough to be in the time of when commercial radio started, and there were I think there was something like you know ten commercial radio stations, of which one of them was BRMB. You know I lived in Birmingham, that's yeah. my home city, uh, and BRMB. You know Les Ross was there, and 
I wanted to work on BRMB. So, I, you know, like all of us, you send in the letters, you send in the demo tapes, whatever. Um, and uh, I was told that, listen, you, you've got no experience. Go and get some experience. So how do you get experience? So I went to join a hospital radio station, and that's really where I first cut, you know, my radio days. And were you good to start? <laughs> it's funny you mention the voice, because the guy that ran the radio station, he said to me, Early on in hospital radio, he said, you are going to win with a voice like that. <laughs> well, there we go. You had it. Exactly. You had it back then, <laughs> many years ago. So uh, Samuel Hospital Radio and then BRMB. Yeah. So when I was at hospital radio, what you do is you, you know, you, you get in touch with the, the presenters on BRMB, the DJs, we used to call them in those days. Uh, and I used to invite them down to the radio station because I wanted to get into BRMB. Yeah. So, you know, I invited them down and interviewed them on my hospital radio show. Uh, and then uh, a guy called Nick Meanwell, who I, I used to do the late show on BRMB, he invited me in, and that's how it all really started. And then, you'll, you'll remember this, John, uh, the BRMB Walkathon. Yes. Yeah. That came along. The, it, it started, and they were looking for volunteers to answer the phone. So I, there was me. I used to answer the phone uh, for people who wanted to sign up for the walkathon, uh, which was uh, 26 miles around Birmingham, uh, the outer route of Birmingham City Centre. That's that's what it was, and it was a charity event. But that got me in to the building. And this was in the days when B&B used to be in Aston, and it was um, the old ATV studios where Crossroads used to be made and all those great you know, program. So it was a great building to be in. And then you get in and then you get to know people there. And people knew that I wanted to, you know, work in radio. So I got a job in the traffic department. And anybody who knows it's nothing to do with travel. It's, you know, commercials. Yeah. My first job, my first paid job on radio was carting up ads. Wow. And that's that's what, that's my first job in radio. How long did you do that for then? I did that for probably two, three years, something like that. And I used to see, it was at the second floor, the, the traffic department and the studios were on the fifth floor. And we used to, you know, listen, I, I used to sit there thinking, I want to be on the fifth floor. I want to be up there where they're doing the broadcasting. And a guy that used to be the program patrol in those days was Bob Hopton. And sadly no longer with us anymore. But, you know, he said to me, I believe you want to be on the radio. Get yourself upstairs and train on the desk upstairs. And that's what I did, you know, when I used to finish in the, the traffic department, the, you know, the old studios there, empty studio, I'd sit there for hours practicing. And Phil Riley actually was one of the presenters there. And he came in one day and Phil said, okay, you're practicing, Graham, you know, you're going to be the radio one day. And he said, with a voice like that, you'll make it one day. <laughs> um, so the, back, back then, Phil Riley, you know, uh, he, he and I knew each other, and that's how it progressed. And then you know what happens? All the stars are off over Christmas, so they're looking for somebody to do, you know, a Boxing Day morning because nobody wants to get up at 4 o'clock on Boxing Day morning. So I'll do that. Mm -hmm. So that's how I started. And then uh, eventually uh, a show became a vacant overnights, uh, and they, I had my first contract doing overnights on BRMB. I'm not from the Midlands, and I didn't realise until I joined BRMB the magic of Les Ross. Everybody talked about Les Ross, and I was fortunate. I, I was doing a breakfast show with my best mate Juliano once, and he was off. I think he'd become a dad, and we decided to do this wacky thing where we got a different co-presenter. And one day it was Les Ross, and it wasn't until he came. I mean, he the, the man can talk. Don't get me wrong. Um, <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> but I mean, he, he he also educated me how to do radio as well. I mean, he taught me a few things. You know, he's a very clever and, and well-respected guy, and you. You were in the building at the same time as, as Les Ross. And any happy memories of, of, of spending time with Les? Well, I, I always remember, um, well, there's two things I remember about Les Ross. The first is the very first time I walked into the studio and Les Ross was on air. And you know you know what it is. We have our headphones on, uh, you know, with with two, two cans on. Uh, he'd there and he'd have one sort of half on the back of his ear and the other one fully on there. And in those days, it was vinyl and he would be talking and queuing up a vinyl record at the same time. <laughs> and he would start it. And you didn't get countdown clocks in those days. And he would talk over the intro and he would make it perfect. And he would hit the intro with a punchline. And it's like, wow, how impressive is that? <laughs> so that was the first thing I knew about Les. And the next thing was my, you know, my uh, other job I used to do 
back in the day of ILR, we used to do the religious program on a Sunday morning between six and eight. Uh, and there was me, you know, I used to go out night clubbing, you know, I was a young, I was a young gay man. I was at, you know, partying until three o'clock in the morning and then turning up at six o'clock in the morning and interviewing the Bishop of Birmingham. Wow. So that was it. Uh, and then uh, after me, Phil Holden was on, and then Les Ross used to be on on a Sunday morning. So I'd come off air, and Les would be, you know, wandering into the building. And anybody who knows Les, well, as you said, will know he talks, and Les talks and talks and talks. So I'd come off air at 8 o'clock, and I'd wander downstairs to the record library, put my vinyl away. And then um, Les would be there, and he'd start talking at you for about an hour. Uh, <laughs> And you didn't get a word in edgeways. And another thing, and another thing. And he used to rant and rave about the radio station. But happy days. And, you know, Les is a mate these days. So, uh, you know, uh, just great to work with him. Oh, and I, I, did the, I did the flying eye on his show, show as well. Well, I was going to ask that because there must be some stories. I mean, that for everybody was the dream job, going up in a helicopter, you know, every day. Or was it an aeroplane? One of the two. Well, it started off as a helicopter. It used to be from Baggington, uh, which is in Coventry. Uh, and Charlie Neal, who became the weather girl after that on, on Central, uh, she she actually left because I think she married. Yes, yeah, she married the pilot of, of the of the heli of the helicopter. Uh, and the, and suddenly uh, it was then transferred to Birmingham, and uh, it was a, a light aircraft, a Partenavia Observer, it was called, and it had a see through nose cone on, and literally you could sit there and you'd fly uh, nine hundred feet across across Birmingham city centre, across Spaghetti Junction, and you could look down and see Spaghetti Junction between your legs. Amazing. At, you know, eight o'clock in the morning on the Les Ross Breakfast Show in a BR&B. How could that not be great? <laughs> I always wondered about those fly nights because of the, the, the British weather. I mean, there you are sat in Barcelona with the beautiful sunshine behind you. But here in, <laughs> here in England, I would, I would just imagine that nine times out of ten, you just couldn't really see the traffic and travel. So did you make it up? Uh, no, I mean, I've got a couple of funny stories about bad weather. Firstly, uh, although I used to love it, I used to get a phone call every morning at six o'clock and they'd tell you whether you were flying or not, whether weather conditions were right or not. And sometimes when the phone rang and said, you can have a lie in this morning, Graham, it used, used to be great. I used to love that. Uh, but then um, uh, on the days where you could actually fly, where the weather was um, a little bit precarious, shall we say, we used to take passengers every morning, uh, either prize winners or clients of BRMB. We used to take them in there. So I'd be sat at the front with a, you know, with a, the, the the captain. We used to, we used to call him the captain because he was the captain, and I'd be sat beside him. And there were four seats behind. And every morning, you used to get jolly listeners or jolly clients arriving, and they'd be like, "Wow, you know, we're going to go in the flying eye." And we used to have these sick bags in there, <laughs> and. Uh, so they'd all arrive there at like 6.30 in the morning and they'd all be, oh, yeah, we're going to go there. It's really great. And you start and you take off. And some mornings it was a little bit precarious. Um, you know, so I can remember once doing a live travel report with Les and my head was bumping on the ceiling there because it was that bad. But even if the weather was not particularly good, there was always somebody who would be throwing up in the back. And we'd, ha we'd have sick bags in there. And because it was such a small cockpit in there, you'd, you'd be broadcasting and the, the pilot and I would look at each other and we used to have like an intercom with each other and we could talk like, you know, we go, mm, I think somebody's filled one of those bags and you turn around and you, there would be somebody in the back filling one of those bags. But the thing was when you used to land and they used to be green, they used to, we'd, we'd land and you get out the aircraft and they'd hand you the sick bag. And it's like, well, what do I want that for? <laughs> could you just sign, just spin over there. sign this for us, please, Grave? <laughs> I mean, tell me the sick bags were branded. They probably were when, when they were branded. They were R&B sick bags. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so you did that, and uh, you doing weekend overnights, and and then and then what? Where did you move to next? As in on the schedule? Uh, well, uh, it was back in the day when consolidation came along and AM and FM was splitting and all, all that sort of happened. Uh, and then, you, you know, capital buying of everything. And capital bought up Midland Radio, which was BRMB, Beacon, uh, Wyvern, uh, also the East Midlands as well. So it'd be, you know, Leicester, uh, Nottingham. So they, they bought up all these radio stations. And of course, Richard Park arrives and like, you know, anybody from Birmingham knew nothing about radio. So we were all fired. And he brought in all the jollies from London and, you know, all the you know, the big names from London. They all came in and took our jobs. So we were fired. It was like, that's it. Richard Park didn't want you. So we were kicked out. And then uh, there was another radio station in Birmingham in those days called Buzz FM. 
which then became choice, which now uh, became something else. It's, it's something else these days. Well, God knows what it is these days, but yeah. it was originally Buzz FM. And uh, there was a character called Chris Carey. I don't know if you know this guy's name. Do you know, I think Ro- Robin Banks launched um, Crunch and Roll, the podcast, and he mentioned Chris Carey as well. Yeah, Chris Carey was running a radio station in Ireland called Nova. And um, he was a real maverick. uh, And he didn't care about anything to do with the radio authority, whatever. He came in. uh, He bought Buzz FM because it was going cheap. And and all of us that, well, most of us that were fired, he hired. And uh, he turned the wick up and he turned the power right up. So this was a you know a big stonking radio station um, because he wanted to get uh, make it bigger than BRMB, but in the end uh, it didn't quite work out for him and he was losing a lot of money and we were on air one day and this tells you about Chris Carey. Chris Carey walked in and decided he was going to close the radio station down. So he went right, stop that. Uh, it wasn't me on air at the time, but I was in the building at the time. He went stop that. Everybody get out and he ripped the desk out and he took the desk away. <laughs> And that was the end of Buzz FM for, for them. Uh, and it was like, all right, now what? And then uh, a, a guy called Muff Murphy came along and bought the radio station, uh, and he hired me as the as the programme controller. And um, <laughs> it was seat of the pants radio, believe me. It really was. So that's where it went from B&B to Buzz FM. And I remember I, I've never enjoyed breakfast shows, ever. I'm not a breakfast show person. And there wasn't a breakfast show presented because I was the programme patrol. I had to do the flipping breakfast show. It's like, <laughs> and I used to sit there with my head in my hands thinking, oh, I don't want to be doing this. I really don't want to be doing this. And the girl, uh, Justine, who was my the girl on the show, uh, I used to say to her, oh, just say something, like, you know, and I'll just push the buttons, like, you know. And it really was those sort of days. And it, I was just looking for a breakfast show presenter. And I was, as soon as I got one, it's like, right, I'm off. I'm going to do something else now. Did you, did you enjoy the management side of things? Uh, no, to be honest. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't. Because I think I think in those days, it, because radio was very small in those days, it was sort of, you did your you did your bit on air and you got to a certain age and it was like, right, you're going to have to come off air now and you're going to have to go into management, which is rubbish. I wasn't saying a naughty word then. Uh, which is rubbish. Uh, bollocks is the word I was going to say. <laughs> uh, uh, but, you know, you didn't have to do that. But that was the way it was because I thought that's what I had to do. Um, but as soon as you say, I'm a radio man, I want to make radio shows. I don't want to be a manager. I don't want to be in charge of people bitching about everybody else. Because when I use it on the other side of the desk, that's what happens when you're a program controller. All these presenters, they don't like each other. They're all yeah. bitching about each other. And you'd sit there and they'd come in and they'd go, so-and-so said so-and-so. Then somebody else would come and say, so-and-so said so-and-so. And it's like, oh, God, I'm not interested. So, no, I did not I did not like the management side of things at all. All right, I want to mention one word and then see your reaction to this. So, Romantica. Yes, that's where my late-night radio really began. Uh, there was a program called, <laughs> dreadful name, isn't it? <laughs> Romantica. <laughs> Uh, that used to be on BRMB. Uh, it started on a Saturday night from 11 o'clock till 4 o'clock in the morning. And it was playing love songs and uh, reading out letters from prisoners, basically, Winston Green in Birmingham, big prison in Birmingham, uh, or On Lee, which is in uh, Coventry Way somewhere, rugby, I think that's his. And you'd be reading out, you know, all these cons letters to their loved ones, whatever. And that's really where my late night radio started. And... I remember I, I took over because Charlie, once again, she was presenting that program um, because she left because she married the pilot. She left and I, I inherited that program as well as the flying eye as well. And she used to read out poetry on that program. And that's not me. I don't want to read out soppy poetry. And that's when I really started to actually push the boundaries, if you like, to start turning the letters into actually being an agony uncle. And they start writing in about problems that have with their boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, whatever. And then that's really where we started talking about relationships. So that's really how it started. Did you enjoy it to start then? Uh, yeah. Uh, why wouldn't I enjoy it? You know, I, I wanted to be on the radio. Uh, um, once again, it was it was people putting their trust in you. And because Graham said it on the radio, it must be a fact. And you had to be really careful and I think even more careful these days, um, you know, uh, I'm not doing uh, uh, that sort of show now where people phone in with their relationship issues. With all the stuff of, uh, you know, trans and, you know, non-binary and all the rest of it, you have to be so careful in these days about what you're saying and the way you refer to people. Um, 
but though in those days, I mean, you can remember this was this was pre-social media or anything like that. It was like people actually wrote a letter in, sent it to you, put a stamp on, put it in the put it in the post box, and I'd receive a letter, and I'd read the letter out, and they'd phone you up, and that's that's how it started. Just crazy, because you know you mentioned doing breakfast, and, and I've only really done breakfast throughout my career. Brave. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a completely different world. Breakfast to late night, isn't it? Late night radio is so different to anything else on the lineup. Absolutely, because why people listen to you for a long time, and uh, once again, we're going back in time, so, you know, radio is a lot smaller, it's more diverse these days, there's so much more to listen to, there's, you know, podcasts you can listen to, which we're on right now, and, uh, you know, there's so much more now, but those, in those days, it was a lot smaller, so if we roll forward to the Lone Out Love days, um, eventually that, that show was on 40 radio stations. And uh, th- we're talking about the GWR days yeah, here now. Yeah. And um, when GWR bought another radio station, they inherited Late Night Love, whether they liked it or not. Uh, they'd open the fader and I'd appear there as well, which brought in its own issues because they didn't particularly want Graham Torrington on their radio station. We still wanted to be Chilton FM with our own late show. Well, I'm sorry, we bought you. You're going to get Graham Torrington. <laughs> and that's the way it was. And, you know, my boss in those days, Dirk, um, you know, I used to say to him, oh, they're not really happy that I'm there. He said, look, we've chosen you to do the show. Just get on and do the show. We'll deal with the politics. Do what you do. Then, of course, eventually, when you'd been on there five or six years, whatever, and they'd had another morning crew because the morning crew never got on with each other, uh, I was more popular than the morning crew. You know, I'd been on their radio station for six years. In that time, they'd had, like, five different breakfast shows, uh, and I was still there. And I was... You know, although I wasn't at these radio stations, I wasn't at Broadland in Norfolk. I was sat in Bristol, but I was more popular than their breakfast show. <laughs> Bizarre, isn't it? Do you know what's really weird? Every time you say late night love, you say it as I remember it on the radio, Graham. Do I? Does that make any sense? You, you get deeper and it, you get closer to the mic and I look. Can you just say it for me one more time? I love it. Late night love. <laughs> it's just brilliant. It's just brilliant. Now, See, what I don't what I don't like is when people go late night love. I, I used to hate it when people say that. No, it's not. It's late night love. <laughs> Do you know? I'm, I'm, late night love. I, I remember when I covered you, and um, it wasn't late night love. It was for the BBC, so it was a different program. But the, the producer at the time, a mutual friend of ours, Adam, said, well, "Well, you know, we'll carry on doing Graham's show." And I was like, "Absolutely." You know, I'm not going to come in here and try and rip it all apart. I just felt like a fraud, and I couldn't do it as well as you. Because you've, oh. got, you've got, just got such a unique style in, in dealing with, you know, guests and, and calls and, and any reaction. You, you do it in your own way, and it's, it's amazing. Um, Thank you. When you were on GWR, and that's when I, when I was GWR, GCAP, I think, when I went to 210 FM, and you were there as our late-night uh, host. I mean, you had over a million listeners. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? Know, it's amazing, yeah. isn't it? I mean, some TV shows would give a right testicle to get those type of listening or viewing figures. I mean, did, did you feel the pressure when you were on 40 stations? Uh, no is the answer because, you know, no, no, we didn't. And the only time that I used to get annoyed was um, uh, when you used to have new production, right? And um, they changed all the production on all these radio stations. And I couldn't hear these radio stations. The only thing I could hear was GWR in Bristol. I couldn't hear 210. I couldn't hear, you know, 2CR, whatever. And, they, you know, they make all this new production. They'd load it all on their machines there locally. Uh, you know, and I'd press the button there and hope it was playing somewhere on a on a radio station. Uh, and then you get somebody phone up. Uh, and luckily, I didn't have to answer the phone. We'd have somebody answering the phone for us. And they'd say, why does Graham keep going quiet? It's like, well, you know, the production had been loaded properly there. So, you know, when I used to press a piece of production at Bristol, it wasn't firing at a radio station. And that used to really annoy me because we used to try to be slick. We used to try and be professional. But, you know, if somebody, audio person, hadn't loaded it correctly, it made me look a prat. Yeah, absolutely. And with late night radio comes um, with it a, a group of nut jobs that always call the show. Have you got any memories of, of those regular people that used to call week in, week out? I mean, you must have a long list. Uh, yes, um, <laughs> uh, and some not so nice, actually. Really? Uh, there's, there's, well, yeah, I'll come on to that in a minute. But there's there's one guy, uh, and I'm not going to name him because he might be listening to this podcast, yeah. but he li- he lives in the West Country, and he used to listen to me on 
his local radio station doing Late Night Love. And to this day, every single radio station that I've appeared at, he sends me an email, he sends stuff to me, and he's, he's still in contact with me. Um, and bless him, he's still there. He really is. There was one particular woman um, who was in love with me. I'd never met this woman. And once again, this, these were the days of writing letters. And she used to write to me. And um, it, it was, you know, starting, you know, I'm going to cook Sunday lunch. Are you going to come for Sunday lunch this week, Graham? I never answered these letters, ever. I never referred to her on the radio, ever. She used to write to me four or five times a week, and I had a big pile of letters that I kept at home. And it got a little bit more sinister as time went on. This went on probably for about 18 months, something like that. And I remember saying to my other half, um, listen, in my drawer there at my desk, there are these letters with this woman's address on. Should something happen to me, those letters are there. And that that is pretty scary stuff. It really is. And the, the point that, that I went to the police with this was um, she sent me our engagement ring oh and she arranged the wedding and she got really annoyed when I didn't turn up for the wedding. And at this point, I went to the police and the police had to go and talk to her. And from that moment on, it stopped. Wow. I mean, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that story, Graham. Also, um, when I worked at BRMB, um, this wasn't on the late show, actually. This was when I was doing uh, Drive, I think it was. And there was there was this guy that um, uh, appeared at uh, late at night. We used to have security there, and he, he appeared, and um, he had a knife and tried to get in the door, and he went... I know where that Graham Torrington is. He said on the radio today, he's going to the Hippodrome in Birmingham to see whatever production it was. I'm going to go and find him. So they called the police and I was sat in the audience at the Hippodrome and they made an announcement. If Graham Torrington is in the audience, can you please come come and see us? Uh, And we went there and this guy never appeared there, but the police gave me an escort home. And in those days, I used to have a sponsored car with my name on all the rest of it. And that all had to go. Uh, And the police said to me, listen, just be careful change your trips home, uh, go in different places. So, and pretty scary stuff, pretty scary stuff. But that's what, you know, radio sometimes goes with the job. Well, especially when you're late at night, because I think you become people's, yeah. people's friends, don't you? And I think that Absolutely, is... Absolutely, because they, they know you and, you know, they're fr- you're, you're their friend. And uh, when you don't acknowledge them, they get annoyed. I think that is also the prime example as to why we shouldn't get sponsored cars with our names on the side, Graham. Absolutely. Such yeah. <laughs> as petrified. It's petrified. <laughs> Listen, if somebody wants to give me a free car, I'm, I'm fine with that. But <laughs> oh, you'll still take don't it. Don't put my name on it. <laughs> Cunty, uh, cunt. Uh, I apologise, sir. We just play records till eight, nine. When do we finish? I'm not drunk. I've had a couple of drinks. I'm not drunk. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, Graham, you mentioned uh, letters from prisons and uh, when I first started I did weekend overnights then I got put onto the late show at Viking FM and um, we did the late night love affair uh, with Hugh Rice Jewelers gifts as precious as time and we, we just seemed to receive letters from prisoners as well and it wasn't until Humberside Police and I think I've told this story already on the podcast many a time but um, Humberside Police got in touch and said uh, Mr Fox can you please stop reading these letters out because they're inside information <laughs> <laughs> did you have a similar experience with your prisoner letters? Uh, I, I was warned about actually, and you, you really kind of had to read into stuff here. Um, uh, and you know, you, you'd get kind of secret messages there as well. Uh, I think mainly the, the ones I remember was that gay guys that were in prison actually referring to their boyfriend that was on, uh, you know, on the out, if you like, and um, calling them a female name because in those days it wasn't really accepted, was it, if you were a gay man in in prison to have a, a boyfriend outside. <laughs> There was always some very interesting letters that we received. And also you mentioned, I mean, look, you were on 40 stations. Which TSA area that you were broadcasting to gave you the most calls? I mean, who had the best callers? Right. I I suppose um, East Midlands, uh, because I was on there the longest. So, uh, and to this day, and you will know this, John, because uh, you cover for my show in the Midlands as well. You know, uh, when we, when we went to the East Midlands, because I originally was in the West Midlands, but we took the show to the East Midlands as well. Uh, When we went back on the East Midlands, that was massive again, because, you know, I'm heritage in in the East Midlands. Uh, So that was, that was always, it was always the big radio stations. Uh, So, you know, Chilton, 210 FM, 
uh, those are the big radio stations and uh, obviously Bristol as well. So they were the ones that always gave me, you know, the, the uh, I suppose the, the biggest or the best reaction because they're city people. I remember when we, <laughs> when we launched on Orchard FM in uh, Somerset, uh, you know, sleepy little uh, leafy Orchard FM, uh, you know, and I appeared on, uh, on their radio station talking about bonking and all the rest of it. It's like, you can't say things like that on the radio in Sleepy Somerset. Yes, we can, you know. Uh, and shagging, we used to say shagging on the radio as well, you know. Uh, and they'd never heard words like that on Orchard FM before. And it's like, you know, the, the I remember the boss actually talking to my boss going, can Graham calm it down a bit? And he went, no, I'm sorry, that's the, that's the show it is, you know. <laughs> I love it. And and forgive me, I'm, you may well be a trained counsellor, but obviously you did receive letters from people and calls from people asking for your advice. I mean, did you were you trained or did you just learn on the job? Uh, it's an interesting point because, you know, when I, when we started Late Night Love, um, which was just in Bristol originally, but the, the idea was to grow it across the stations that they owned. Um, and once again, that started as um, just uh, a request and dedication show. And, you know, they said to me, we want to, you know, make it bigger than that. So that's really where, once again, the, the you know, the letters came in. And in those days, it was emails then that started to flood in as well. So, um, but I remember one of the managers there saying, you know, maybe we should send you to you know get some counseling advice whatever uh but to be honest i said look you know i'm just a bloke i'm going to give my honest opinion here and i never sat on the radio and said i think you should do this what i used to say was i think this and quite often uh you know people would write in or phone in or whatever and i'd say look if I were you, I'm, you know, I'm going to talk to you as you mate, the bloke you meet down the pub, uh, and I'm going to talk to you as a friend. I'm not a trained counsellor, and I used to often say that on the radio. I'm not a counsellor. I'm just a bloke, you know, we're having a conversation with. Um, but, no, I never got any. It was just, uh, you know, because I'd, I'd dealt with so many issues over the years, really. When you've done a, you know, a relationship show for 15-odd years, you've seen it all, you've heard it all. Uh, you've heard, also heard all the wind-up phone calls. The amount of... Um, and this is something else that uh, I realised uh, later on with the show as well, when the show uh, ran for so many years. Because we're in so many different TSAs, uh, you'd get people who were maybe from Wolverhampton and they would go to, um, I don't know, uh, Nottingham to university there. But I was still their local radio station, so they might have been listening on Beacon, but then they were listening on Trent, and it was the same, you know, whichever you were. And we used to, we were massive in the universities, absolutely massive. And they they would have late night love parties. They'd sit there with, their, you know, their booze, listening and trying to phone up Graham and wind him up. The amount of guys who claimed that their best friend was sleeping with their mom was unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like I've not heard that one before. No, I've not heard that one before. It was just that's that's how it happened all the time. You know, let's wind up Graham. <laughs> There's probably t-shirts printed with that on it. That's floating around on campuses yeah. left, right. But and you know, later on, later on in life, those people then got jobs, then got married, then had kids, and they used to say like, "We're up late at night now." You know, feeding our kids, and you were the guy that I used to listen to in my university days. I'm now married and I'm, you know, up late feeding the kids and still listening to you on the radio. <laughs> well, there we How go. What is that? Exactly, exactly. I just wondered, out of all of the calls that you, you received, were you ever shocked by anything? Shocked? No. I mean, you know, I'm a man of the world and, you know, uh, I've heard most things and seen a lot of things as well. Shocked? No. Um, I think the calls that used to play on my mind, and this I, I learned over the years to actually leave the show behind when I left the studio because, you know, later on in time when the show became really big and we used to get those big phone calls on there. And I have to say also, people always claim we made up those phone calls. We never, ever, ever made up a phone call because you didn't need to, because this is life. This is what was happening to people in their homes. And the ones that used to disturb me, if you like, were the ones that the woman would be listening there and she would phone up and she'd say, in the next half an hour, my husband, who's been down the pub, is going to walk through that door and he's going to beat the hell out of me. And those are the ones that are difficult because you knew that's what was going to happen. And my question all the time to them was, why are you putting up with this? And anybody that's been in an abusive relationship will tell you because they think there's nothing better and they are in control of those people and they will control those people. And if they left, 
they were going to find them. And I used to say to them, that's wrong. You can leave that person. Go and find someone. Pick up your belongings. Go and find somewhere to go. Go to a refuge, especially for a woman's refuge, because they will help you. And the amount of times that people would phone me 12 months on and say to me, I phoned you up 12 months ago, and my husband was going to beat the living daylights out of me, and you told me to pick up my things. The next morning, after my husband had beat me up, I picked up the things and picked up my child, and I went to a refuge. 12 months on, I now have a new life. That's pretty powerful. Blimey, that is powerful. I think that is more powerful than any other show on the line. Absolutely. You know, there's no other show that would would potentially save someone's life you know so absolutely amazing absolutely it, it, it is and i used to worry about that stuff but i you know i was i was told that you need to leave that at the door and there were a couple of times where we had to phone the police and get the police involved there were the odd occasion which i won't go into but uh we were doing our duty to make sure that that person was fine and the police were knocking on their door now, I'm going to completely change tact here. Um, staying on the theme of late night love, um, it, it was huge. I just wondered, did you get sick of hearing Massive Attack and Protection, which of course was <laughs> the late night love theme tune? <laughs> I mean, how many years did you use that as the theme? Uh, well, we changed over the years, actually. Uh, we, we kind of did different stuff. But um, I th- it, it actually became, you know, the theme to the show in the end. And, you know, even when we went to the BBC, uh, they said, oh, well, that's... That's the theme to to Graham Torrington, so we need to use that. And you know, when you cover for my show, we were using that also, yeah, weren't we? Yeah. You know, in the BBC. So uh, no, is the answer. It was my theme tune. You know, <laughs> Jimmy Young had a theme tune. I had a theme tune as well. I wonder if Massive Attack knew that you were using. They obviously did. I think they did because they're you know they're from Portishead, Bristol. So and you know that's where that's that's where the show really started. So yeah, maybe they did. Amazing. Now, late night love. Where next after that? Uh, right, okay. Uh, once again, Richard Park came in and fired me. He's not a big fan of you, is he, Graham? No, 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 no. You know, um, because you know he'd been doing his stuff uh, away from Capital or Global, what they became, whatever, and he was he was doing stuff um, for Magic, I think, wasn't he? Um, and then Global then came in and took over GCap. Uh, and I remember sitting in BRMB and uh, Duncan Campbell was uh, there in those. You know Duncan, yes, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Duncan, Duncan Campbell was there. And uh, he was the the PD in those days. And I said, that's it then, isn't it? And he went, no, 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 no. It's a successful thing. You you, you know, why would they get rid of you? Uh, it's a big show. Uh, and I said, no, 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 it's, it's going to end. It's going to end. Uh, and I knew, I absolutely knew it was going to end. Uh, and I, I think I lasted probably 48 hours. <laughs> Uh, uh, and uh, I, I, it was, it was, uh, it was a Friday afternoon, uh, and I remember because uh, I was living in Birmingham, and I was there, and I remember getting called into BRMB, and I thought, mm, thank you again. So I, I arrived there one Friday afternoon, and uh, there were two senior managers sitting in an office, and <laughs> I walked in and I said, "Should I be pleased that I'm here and I'm sat in front of you two or not?" And they went, mm, "I'm sorry, Graham, it's the end of the road." And I went, "Well, I knew that was going to happen, whatever." And they were really nice, actually, uh, but you know. Richard Park never fired me. He always sent somebody else to fire me. <laughs> you uh, got which it. <laughs> I thought, which I thought was not a nice thing to do. Richard, if you're going to fire me, you fire me. You always sent somebody else to fire me. So <laughs> Richard's fired me twice. Oh, well, I mean, you know, it, it must have been a tough decision to do because obviously the show was, was, was massive, wasn't it? So that came to an end. And then the BBC? Yeah, um, and I, because the show had been going for so long, uh, I knew at some point it was going to end because that's what happens. You you know it's going to end one day. And everybody used to say to me, oh, no, 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 it's not going to end. This will go on for years. And I went, no, one day I will be fired. So about two years before uh, Richard Park fired me again, um, I got into bed with the BBC. I started talking to the right people at the BBC and they said, um, we want to hire you, Graham, Um uh, uh, and I said, fine. Uh, and I said, look, I'm being paid really good money at the moment. So why would I give up a job? But when I get fired or when it comes to an end, I'll be on the phone. And I phoned them up and I said, here I am. I'm ready for you now. I've just been fired. So that's where the BBC started. And they said, fine, okay. Um, listen, we haven't got a show for you at the moment, but sit tight. We'll find somewhere for you. Uh, and then roll on, I don't know, two or three months, whatever. And um, they said, we've got a job doing the morning show in Bristol. Um, so there I was, back down to Bristol again, doing mid-mornings. And I have to say, I never really got on with the boss there. Um, he was not 
somebody that I got on with at all. And I'll probably leave it at that, really. But um, I knew it wasn't going to last. And uh, anyway, it came, it came to an end. Oh, yeah. Can I just tell you about um, one thing when I was on BBC Bristol? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, <laughs> I killed off Ackerbilk. Okay, I was, I was, Akibilk comes from Bristol and, and sadly he's no longer with us anymore now, but I remember doing an OB one day from somewhere in Bristol and I was talking to somebody about Akibilk and I said, oh, you know, sadly he's no longer with us. And back at the radio station, all the phones are ringing and he's still alive. It's like, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, there I am in Bristol, the home of Akibilk and I killed him off on BBC Radio Bristol. <laughs> so there I was again um, without a job. And I'm back in Birmingham and uh, Smooth, actually, then. Yeah, I got um, a bit job on Smooth. I was covering weekends. uh, And then they got me to cover different shows on Smooth FM as well. Uh, which was great, and they paid really good money. And there was, you know, big stars in there: Pat Sharp, you know, Simon Bates, you know, Andy Peebles, you know, uh, Mark Goodyear. They're all on there, and me as well. So it's like, you know, it was great. But it was only a part-time show, and then. Um, uh, Gareth Roberts, who then became the managing editor of WM, I met him. I just literally bumped into him one day and he said, mm, what are you doing? And I said, well, you know, I'm doing some shows for Smooth. And he went, would you be interested in doing our late show? He'd just taken over WM. They didn't have a culture of a late show in those days. It was like Monday night was jazz night. Tuesday night was anything else. Wednesday night was country jamboree, whatever. Uh, and he said, we want to put in a proper late show. Uh, and he said, um, and possibly that will grow across the Midlands just like your old Late Night Love show. Uh, So there I was um, back uh, doing Late Nights again on WM in Birmingham, which then covered the whole of the West Midlands, and then we went to the East Midlands as well. Um, But I remember Gareth saying to me, he said, look, this is the BBC, so you need to tone it down just a little bit. So it's not Late Night Love. It's it's not tits and bums. It's, you know, it's, it's going to bed. Uh, with a nice feeling that you know the days come to an end, and it's it's a little bit um, gentler, if you like, really. So that's really where it was, and that show grew over the time as well because it was quite newsy to start with, and that didn't really work. And we then started getting into life stories, which you'll probably remember, John, as yeah, well, where yeah, yeah. you know we 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 talked to people who'd done fabulous things in their lives, uh, and I used to love doing those interviews. Absolutely loved it, and you know I learned so much about people who you know, gone on great expeditions around the world, people who, you know, had their legs chopped off and all the rest of it. Amazing stories, real life stories and just really interesting stuff. That's what we used to do on that show. And then, um, I mean, obviously you haven't retired because you're back on Boom um, with Mr. Lloyd and and Phil Riley, who we we love. And, um, but but whilst you were at the BBC, you decided to retire. Yeah. um, Well, there's two reasons for that, really. Um, I don't get on with winters very well in the UK. I don't like, Grey, miserable days. And I had um, a, a small place in Spain, just outside Barcelona, which I, you know, I was able to afford a few years ago because I was paid lots of money by GWR <laughs> in those days. So I had I had money to spend. So um, I bought a place. Uh, and eventually I knew this is where I wanted to be. And I used to come out here more and more and more and go back to the UK. And I used to, I couldn't cope with the winters at all. I'm, I'm not great with the winters. I, you know, I'm one of those people who doesn't do sad very well at all. And um, so that was the luck coming along. Um, also, um, Brexit was coming along as well. And if I wanted to move over here, I had to do it at a certain time before Brexit was done. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to get uh, later on in life my pension paid out here and all those sorts of things as well. So to get all the benefits of pre-Brexit, I had to be a resident here. And the BBC were changing as well, and I was not very happy with what was happening at the BBC, and I knew that possibly I wasn't going to be very happy there in the future. So I just, I, I kind of went, and COVID was around as well, and I just thought, you know what? This is just exactly the time to go. And I decided I was going to retire. I was laying the sun here one day, and I thought, that's it, I'm going to retire. Talked to my partner, and he said, yep, yeah, fine, that's what we'll go and do. Uh, and left, and actually came here. And that's what I was going to, I was going to retire. Uh, and then soon after that, David Lloyd was in touch and said, we're starting a new radio station, Graham, and you can do it from Spain. Would you be interested? And I said, yeah, okay. Um, 18 months on, I'm still doing two shows for Boom from Spain here. Um, and since then, uh, people get on the phone, people contact me and say, would you be interested in doing some stuff for us? And 
I've, I've been doing some stuff in uh, Derbyshire on a radio station there. I'm doing stuff now from uh, MKFM and I'm now with a, a production company and the idea is that we're going to launch a late show that radio stations can now buy in and we're working on that and hopefully that will be available in the new year and it's all starting all over again. <laughs> well, that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, just as you thought you could lay on that beach, Graham, it's it's all kicking off. And and I mean, look, I'm not jealous at all, but you're sat there with the sun behind you. You're in Barcelona in your, uh, your, your place there. I mean, here's a question for you. Out of your long career, have you got any regrets? No, I, th- I, I haven't. The only thing is I wish I'd probably taken more risks earlier on in my life. Uh, I think that's really what I would have done. Uh, and I've, I've probably stayed loyal too long to certain places. Um, okay, uh, the the big show for me has always been Late Night Love, always, because, you know, that was the biggest show that I've ever been on. And once again, you know, it was big. It was all over the country. Uh, it, it's given me lots of things now because, you know, I can go to most town cities in, in England and, and Wales as well, a little bit in Scotland, and people know who you are. So you haven't got to start introducing yourself anymore. So, you know, that's always been the big thing. Regrets, I probably would have taken a few more risks. That's probably what I would have done. And obviously, for, because you've survived, I mean, radio stations just blow up around you, but you survived. Your show stayed on there, whatever group you were part of. So I'm guessing that you obviously didn't take advice from any consultants. You just kept on doing what you believed in. I mean, because consultants traditionally would just walk in and go, well, I don't think you should do it like that. Yeah, I've probably got a story on that. When I arrived at uh, GWR, we had the meeting and it was Steve Orchard and, and Dirk. And, you know, they said, we've hired you because you know how to do a late show. If you remember back in those days, GWR had liner cards and, you know, it was the better music mix, whatever. Yeah. And they play four songs and they do the liner card. They said, we haven't hired you to do that. We've hired you because you know how to do a late show. So do what you do. The only time that, I, and this this was in the GWR days, um, there was a particular consultant that came in who said, oh, it should be more love songs and dedications. And it was actually cut back to that. And very quickly, the listeners were saying, this is not late night love. This is not what we listen to Graham for. You know, love songs and dedications is not what we listen to. So very quickly after that, that consultant was told, no, we're going to take it back to what it was. And it only lasted probably for about six weeks like that because it just wasn't working. I also wondered, Graham, I mean, obviously you mopped up pretty much every station in the country, uh, selfishly. You were on all of them, uh, pretty much. (laughs) Do you rate anybody else who does late night radio? Uh, Yeah, Alan Robson. He's somebody that's been, uh, you know, doing late shows for for many, many years as well. Uh, uh, There are two two ways that, you know, late shows work. Uh, One is to do, you know, late night talk, talk, shout at the radio stuff. Uh, And the other songs, the other one is like do do a love show. Or a music show, uh, and actually, they all work uh, on their own on their own radio stations. But um, you tend to find the people who've been the most successful ones are the ones who've been there a long time because they understand their audience. They really do. And you know, you, as you say, you can get consultants that come in and consult you or producers. But you know, I've always been told every radio station I've been to that, that I've done a late show, we've hired you because you know the audience. So get on and do what you do. Do you know, there's another thing I wondered. I mean, you're not the type of character to walk around and go, do you know who I am? I know that from the, from the times that we've spent together. But have you ever been recognised by your voice? I mean, ordering a, a McDonald's. I don't know if Graham Torrent would eat a McDonald's, but... Yeah, occasionally it happens. And I, I used to like it actually pre-social media because, you know, you were just the bloke on the radio. And you're quite right. I do this, I do what I do because I like doing what I do. I'm, I'm not doing it to be famous. And anybody that knows me will tell you that as well. Even my own partner will tell you that, that, you know, uh, occasionally you can be out. Somebody spots who you are and I'm thinking, oh, God, they're going to talk about Graham Torrington. It's like, okay. Uh, and I don't like that. I, I do it because I, I like the job that I do. I don't do it to be famous. Some people get into this because they want to be famous which is fine and some people get into it to want to be on the telly or whatever that's never been me at all but I remember standing um uh, in an apartment block that I used to live in in Birmingham uh, and I was talking to the concierge there and somebody came in and was stood next to me and I was talking to the concierge there and blah blah blah, blah, blah. and they turned to me and they said you're Graham Torrington aren't you and I went 
Yes. And they said, as soon as I heard that voice, I knew you were Graham Torrington. I just had to ask you, can I have your autograph? Went, oh, God, no, here we go. <laughs> you know, I, I remember when I was offered uh, the chance, the opportunity to cover your show on the BBC, and I was nervous to cover it. I'm being honest. You know, it was your show. Um, and you... I, I didn't know. I didn't know you at all. I, we'd never met before. Obviously, I'd heard of you and heard a lot about you. And um, you walked into the studio. I think I was doing a show. Bef- you came in. I can't remember what happened. I was preparing to cover your show about a week before, and you came in and you were so lovely, and you were just so encouraging. You said, "Enjoy it. There's nothing to worry about." And you walked out, and I was like, "God, he's such a nice guy." Graham Torrington. <laughs> Graham Torrington actually is a lovely geezer. <laughs> That's really nice of you to say that. And, you know, people have this impression of you. Uh, they really do. They think they know who you are. And you, you know this, John, you know, from listeners. They, they think, oh, he's like this, like. Uh, you know, and we, we've all read stuff about us uh, that we've seen, you know, in social media or in, you know, whatever online. And th- that's what annoys me because I just think, why have you written that? Because you don't know me. You have no idea who I am. You have this perception of what I'm like. So until you actually know me, please do not write that about me. And, you know, I've always considered myself a really minor star. Okay. But when you see, you know, big stars, you know, the Kylie's, the Madonna's of this world and the the stuff that you read and you, they write about them. uh, And, you know, the trolling that goes on there as well. It's just horrible. It's just it's just horrible, horrible stuff. And I, I, I you know, I have a, I've had a very small taste of that. Uh, but I would not want to be one of these big stars that that get abuse all the time. Oh, yeah. Well, Graham, thank you very much for being on Crunch and Roll. Um, we could take up another four hours of your time, but I won't do that because I can see the sun is shining in the background <laughs> in Barcelona. Well, I mean, what, what temperature is it today, Graham? Uh, hang on, I'm just looking at my phone here. Um, right, we're recording this at lunchtime, and it's uh, this is a day in October, right? Um, yeah. And it's 25 degrees. Oh, I hate you, Graham. I hate you. I'm off to the beach very soon. <laughs> oh, don't. <laughs> Look, we, we always ask our guests to uh, to finish the, the podcast. Have you ever done You must have done voiceover work, Graham. Uh, I've earned a bit of cash out of that. Yes, I have. Yes. Have you? Who have you done voice? I, I used to be the voice for an airline, BMI. Wow. Uh, so if you were... Yeah, I used to be the voice, you know, uh, on the, on that airline there as well. And, uh, you know, those little things that come up on the television, you know, when around the weather and everything, like, you know, central weather sponsored by blah, 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 blah. You know, I've, I've done those bits and pieces. Well. Have you really? <laughs> yeah. just, I didn't realise. <laughs> well, I mean, well, the, you're a true pro. We always get our guests to uh, to finish the podcast uh, with the uh, the end credits in your best voiceover voice. Would you be happy to Thank do you. that? I'll be happy to do that, yeah. I'll do this in Late Night Love Star. You've been listening to Crunch and Roll with me, Graham Torrington. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app and never miss an episode. Crunch and Roll is a 969 media production presented by John Fox and produced by Simon Borshawski. Thank you so much for your time. <laughs> oh, yeah. I hope it wasn't too painful for you. No, no, it's fine. Listen, I'll talk about myself all day. It's like, you know. <laughs>